Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm John McEnroe, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Well, hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast. We are post-Wimbledon and we are post-Andy Murray winning Wimbledon. A British man, Catherine, has won Wimbledon. How about that? How about that? Yeah, I don't think anyone can, can really believe it, can they? It's not sunk in yet. No, I don't think they can really, but uh, I, I love the, the quote used, in fact, by both Simon Barnes in The Times today and Paul Haywood in The Telegraph saying uh, he he's the first... British man to win Wimbledon in short trousers <laughs> and that's exactly what he is, 77 years have passed since uh, dear old Fred uh, won Wimbledon all those years ago and uh, and I mean it was an amazing day yesterday in just about every way, both from the, the performance that he put in uh, against the world number one Novak Djokovic to the atmosphere I mean it, it you know it was Olympics all over again wasn't it and it and it does seem as though he has now been properly taken to the hearts of the nation doesn't he I mean I, I know there are still going to be the the dissenters the people that will never forgive the joke that he made in 2006 oh, about, about football well, there will those, be people, those people there, are there, fools but, I'm afraid yes I agree um, hey, do, do, do you know, actually, when I was in a taxi today, I actually heard uh, an LBC phone-in, and the the, uh, the title of the phone-in was... You don't want uh, to be listening to those, David. It's, yeah, I know. It's not I good know. for your health. I was in a taxi, what can I do? Yeah. Uh, and it was, uh, the, the title of the phone-in was, um, if, if the nationality, or if the Scottishness, how about that, if the Scottishness of Andy Murray has diluted your enjoyment of his victory in, in any way... Are oh. you completely stupid? Right. Which I thought was quite funny. Wow, but, uh, that's an intelligently titled phone-in, isn't it? Isn't it Well just. done, LBC. Yeah, absolutely. Highbrow High broadcasting. I, I have to say, I mean, I did find it quite reassuring that, that the, the, the country has, has continu- continued to, to embrace Andy Murray over the last couple of years and, and it does seem now as if people get him I mean 17.3 million people watched that match yesterday it was the most viewed television of the entire year by far, I mean the, 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 the closest to it was 11 million 
And I found that quite uh, refreshing and reassuring. On a day when I suspect ordinarily not many people would have been watching the television because of how good the weather was. I mean, in comparison to what viewing figures would have been for whatever else was on at that time, I think that's quite incredible. Um, And and everything you're saying about the way um, he's been taken to the hearts of the nation, I mean, all I feel is, right, well, about time, really. That's... that's, It's 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 a sad fact that that hap- hasn't happened until now, but thank good it's happening now. Frankly, he, he's not he's not the most obvious sort of person to really like. No, but though, do is we he? want he's do we want all of you know? our sports people and celebrities to be heart on the sleeve, tap dancing, all singing, all dancing, emoting left, right, and centred? Is that what we really want them to be like? I, d- I don't think so. No, I mean, listen, I, I'm with you. I like Andy Murray a lot, and I, I always have ever since I first met him, and, uh, and and I like the edge to him as well. And I like the fact that he doesn't try and be a song and dance man when he's just not like that, um, and and I don't see why he should be. Um, but, but I think it is one of those where the wider public and people that aren't necessarily interested in tennis or even interested in sport, it takes them a few experiences of him and to see other sides to him and the documentary actually that's going out while we're on air at the moment they're repeating the uh, the documentary about him and I, I think it takes those sort of things for people to just relate to him a little bit because he's so different in those press conference situations where most people see him speak to what he's like the rest of the time Possibly but it's not like he's the, you know the world's most awkward human being and uh, I mean I will grant you that he doesn't do himself favors on the court some of the time I mean when he goes through his slightly teenage patches on the court um that he does let himself down a bit there but you know that's just not what he's like at all really he's a, he's a very mature individual really I I think and um yeah, it's only what he deserves. Um, and rarely have I been so happy for somebody else that I don't know, you know, that's not a member of my immediate family or friends. You know, I'm just so happy for him. Hey, Catherine, at this time last year, we, we we had a few tears, didn't we, over his loss? Uh, did you hold it together yesterday? No, oh, God, no. No, lots of tears all over oh, the well, place. Which, which was the bit that set you off? Oh, um... All of it, Judy. Judy set me off quite a lot. That was all more than you know how I feel about when your mum's watching you. I, if somebody's got their mum in the audience, I always support that person because I can't bear for anyone to lose in front of their mum. Um, so, f- so f- you know that reaction from her and 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 seeing all. Yeah, I, I won't go into it. Everybody saw and everybody saw yeah. what you, a moment you, that was. I, I got to speak to his dad afterwards for, for BBC Radio 5 Live where I was working for doing the interviews after the match and uh, first time I've ever spoken to him. Such a charming guy. I mean, really nice fella and and I was struck by just how relaxed he was. You know, uh, I was thinking, oh, you know, I'd be a nervous wreck if I was in your position. And most people in that player box of Andy Murray look like they are a nervous wreck. And he, he just said, oh, I was just, just enjoying it enjoying yeah. the whole experience I heard that interview I thought it was amazing because he, he he said he said he said oh I just can't believe that a British man has, has won Wimbledon and you had to say yeah and your son <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Which is exactly what I was saying to my radio at that moment, and then you said it. And, oh, good. And all of my right. family said, God, you two are on the same wavelength. Yes, that, that, that's right. That's right. Well, <laughs> uh, that, that's, uh, that, well, except when we're on the tennis podcast, and then we, act, we argue like cat and dog. <laughs> But, um, uh, I mean, it was... Uh, i tell you what really struck me as well. I mean, it, it just felt like all the stars had aligned. And I don't want to be too biased here because I'm sure there's an awful lot of uh, Novak Djokovic fans listening and I don't, you don't want to rub it in or be too jingoistic or partisan. But at the same time, it was a special, it was a special day. I don't care who you are, even if you're not a fan of Andy Murray, to, to see an absolutely jam-packed centre court sunbathed like that with the the hill absolutely you know packed to to the point where people couldn't find a, a spare yeah. blade of grass to sit on anymore and and 17 million people tuning in to, to watch it i think that that is is really a special day in in the the whole country's history not not only the sport the sporting history of the mm. nation i mean it was, no. it was really something to be part of it you know even even if you were just watching on the tv back home if you weren't moved by that what's wrong with you yeah absolutely and it's f- funny what you say about Djokovic. I, I i know this is almost definitely not true and it's just me sort of imposing my own narrative on it but it looked Djokovic looked resigned from the beginning to me. He uh, he did not look like the world number one in terms of. I just thought he looked like a shell of himself. Not necessarily in the way he was playing. He obviously didn't play his best, but certainly he didn't play a hideous match either. He just looked like a shell of the world well, number it was one. Like, it he was looked like a resigned. Tidal wave. It was like a tidal wave of of um, of emotion and energy coming his way that he had to try to stem somehow and it's pretty difficult to do let's be honest I mean it's not just one man down the other end you've got to block out all of these people who basically want you to lose and every shot that you hit is is not jeered but certainly reacted to with 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 disappointment if it's a good one and I just think all of that it must be so hard not to get wound up by it or depressed by it or or at least affected by it yeah I don't doubt that um I'm sure that goes a long way to explain it I I suppose I was just surprised that you know we didn't see any I there was one point where he just looked possibly on the brink of a, a mounting a comeback in the third set but up to that point there was no puffing his chest out or beating his chest or any of that you know he can be quite um I'll put my words well here. He can be quite aggressive in his um, he can be celebrations, can't he? and he, uh, yeah, he really can. And he can be—he can sometimes err on the side of the slightly tasteless. I think in his in his um, manner of celebrating. Oh, uh, do you think so? I think that's I d- well, a bit harsh, that, I think that's possible. I think I probably phrase that a bit compared to the the grace with which. I mean, I know Rafa and Roger are exemplary, but compared to that, I think, I think he, a, he can be a, a bit graceless. In I think his, there's a defiance about Djokovic when he when he celebrates. He, he, yeah, he he basically wants to put it in your face a little bit because yeah. I think well, he's not, I think he's no. being offended a little bit by almost being the not the crowd favourite. I think I think it bothers him. But then where's chicken and where's egg? I would argue that those sort of celebrations perhaps contribute to him not being the crowd favourite. But hey, it's not like like he's a villain or anything. I don't think he's hated or, 
you know, he's just happens to be in an era where, you know, playing at Wimbledon, he's against a, a fantastic Brit and Rafa and Roger are two of the most loved champions of all time. You know, you can't yeah, really well, you can't really win. No, um, no, so I you do can't. feel and for I, him. I, I would say, though, that I do think Djokovic is somebody who likes to be liked. Yes, he, he loves I think to be you're loved. Right he wants to be he wants to have affection shown towards him and I think frankly it does wind him up a bit. Mm, I remember that match at, get... at the US Open against Andy Roddick where he was really not enjoying several years ago now but really not enjoying um being on the negative end of of the crowd support that day. Um yeah. and uh yeah in the post match interview didn't didn't do himself any favours with the crowd there, I don't think. But anyway, no. But but I, you can kind of understand. I, I I I do understand it though. I think you'd have to be almost like a robot not to be, not to be bothered by some of the th- things that you have to put up with on a court. I mean, he had that one against Dimitrov, didn't he, in in Madrid, where all the crowd were on the side of the underdog, and he mm. it wound him up. You know, it was like just just be. I I got the sense that he was thinking, well, just be fair. Be yeah. fair, be equal towards us, but that's not well, how. Well, I'm sure he wouldn't works, have been saying that in the Davis Cup final a few years ago. Why can't you just be fair? <laughs> well, no, but when you're being, when it's happening to you, you feel a no. little bit persecuted. I suppose, no, absolutely. I'm just saying that's not necessarily the most rational, rational line of thought. It's perfectly valid, but not necessarily rational. No, but I suppose it's it's what you feel at the time with all the emotion, isn't it? Now, listen, just about the the match itself. Here's one other thing you mentioned about how uh, he, he didn't look convincing to you, pretty much from this from the word go. I would argue that if Andy Murray plays his best tennis, I don't really think Djokovic can beat the guy. Not but if I, he's, I, not if Andy Murray's a hundred percent fit. 100% focused and playing his best tennis. I think styles make matches and I think Andy Murray's style is a big problem for Novak Djokovic. I don't necessarily agree, disagree with you there, but I also I don't think Andy Murray played his best tennis yesterday. I think he played really No, I think he played I think he played really well. Um, but the, the speed in which he was going around oh, the court, yeah. particularly at the second, end, I second was to none. Second to none, but I've seen him play better than that. Most definitely. Against Djokovic, I th- I think there were periods in the U.S. Open final where he played a lot better than that. Yeah, I mean, but the the other thing I would add is that Andy Murray makes life difficult for the opponent in ways that aren't always necessarily obvious to to you. Just I mean, I was sitting there thinking, why isn't Djokovic going for more winners or hitting more winners? He looks like he's just hitting it back to Murray, and then. Obviously, you think that through and you realise that, well, you know, just Murray's not allowing him to do that. You know, Murray, his game isn't the most in-your-face game. I think he, as I say, he makes it so he makes it so difficult for the opponent to play well. And that's such a skill in itself. And it doesn't always look like a flashy, spectacular performance. But he's stifling his opponent to such a degree um, that, you know, he... Like it wins in straight sets, which is incredible. Mm, yeah, no, absolutely. Well, it was uh, what really struck me about it was that last game, and I know Five Live tonight have done a, a proper show just about that final game because Andy Murray said it was the, the the toughest game he will ever play, and of course it was forty love, and then it was break point against him, and and this went on several times. But it struck me just at the end, you know, when he won that penultimate point. I mean, 
you know I think most people were watching that and just thinking this is it this is he's going to win it now because the point he won that penultimate point he won I don't know how he it was humanly possible for him to win it the speed in which he was going around the court absorbing Djokovic's best shots and still winning the point it was one of the best played points I've ever seen in that regard the sheer will that he had to win the match and win the title at that point I think it was just encapsulated right there yeah no I absolutely agree I have a question for you oh go on Did, oh, well we got some other questions from our listeners soon we must well get on to those, just quickly go ahead with yours first do you think as I think that we saw Lendl's bottom lip going oh I don't know because I did I, I had to rush out on. You mean just after the match? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I had to in rush the immediate onto, aftermath. I had to run straight onto the the player lawn to go and get interviewed, so I didn't actually see it. Well, um, I, I couldn't quite believe what I was seeing, so I did do a bit of a rewind. And you did I, a I mean, I could on, on Lendl's bottom yeah, lip. Brilliant. I could not say a hundred percent because it just seems so unlikely. But unless my eyes were deceiving me, I think that's what I witnessed. Yeah, well, you know, everybody cries sometime, don't they, Catherine? Yeah, but even, I mean, if I was Lendl. making a list of everybody in the world, Lendl would be at the bottom of the likely <laughs> to cry list. Superb. Oh, dear, Catherine, I think we need to get, to get on to uh, a few questions from our listeners here. Are you ready for this? I am. Okay, Alex Bull says, uh, what happened to Catherine's foregone conclusion of Serena winning? Yeah, I was wrong. That's what happened. But I, could I just defend myself? What do you mean, but? With, well, no, I was wrong. However, I, 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 I think that was pretty much the biggest shock in tennis history. I, I was absolutely aghast. And I must have heard 15, 20 champions, pundits, everybody making predictions uh, before Wimbledon. And I did not hear anybody give any other female player even the slightest chance I didn't hear another name mentioned Did you as somebody, somebody with an outside podcast, chance I've never uh, 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 ever oh, heard that before you, no, you not didn't one hear other on name the tennis mentioned. podcast a week ago Catherine you didn't hear somebody on the tennis podcast a week ago saying uh, you must watch out for the winner of um, Sam Stosa and uh, Sabina Lizicki you didn't hear that so you predicted the winner of that to beat Serena did you do you want to do you want to play the podcast back no, I'm not saying you didn't. You didn't say that. Did they, I not I'm say saying that, that is that a way was... away from predicting. I I know David that going into that match, you were not predicting a Lisicki win. No, I wasn't. I wasn't predicting, but I wasn't saying it was a foregone conclusion either. I said I it was said an absurd thing to thing say. I said the closest thing to a foregone conclusion. I don't think it was cons- absurd. I think it was wrong. Well, it was because it didn't happen, did it? Well, hang on. So everything, every prediction that doesn't happen. turn out. It doesn't come to fruition is absurd, is it? Well, if 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 something is a foregone conclusion, then it I is didn't going say a categorical foregone conclusion. I said the closest thing. You said a naught point naught one percent chance. Yes, and it happened. <laughs> come on, I would have given it. I mean, I I I can't remember exactly what I said, but I know for a fact that I said that Sabina Zicky could cause her problems, and I didn't say she beat her, but. I thought she was in with a chance, for sure. Well, a, a, well, you know, you're a better a 10, predictor than I am, because I, I can't honestly say that I did give her the remotest chance. I, re- I, I really can't 
say that. I, I did. I just didn't. I didn't think anybody had a hope, and I was wrong. Okay. I think we've. I think we've. We've just about got to the bottom of that one. Right. Great. Um, now, is uh, Ewan McQueen wants to know: Is Del Potro now a threat on grass in the future after this year's championship? I Absolutely. suppose what he's asking is: Could he actually win it one year? I think he could. Yeah, I really think he could. Um, I think he's a major. Mm, con- I, I think, think. Yeah. I think he probably could. Well, I'm not saying I'm not he will. Like I, I'm saying he could. Therefore, he. I'm saying he's capable. Yeah. Of it. No. Yeah. No. I'm a bit wishy-washy there, wasn't I? <laughs> but I'm. I. I suppose what I'm saying is I'm not convinced at all by that that he that he will win it. I. I well, I'd say injury. I'd give- Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live and you can watch on your phone or your smart TV, both in HD. Matt, this sounds like your kind of thing. Yeah, there's nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere, dipping in to where there's the latest final set tie break or even the latest bit of aggro. And David, don't worry, you can just watch your favourite court, Suzanne Longlen, all day if you want. But whatever you choose, the French Open promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Do you know, I think in a lot of ways, the French Open is now my favourite slam. It's the strategy of the clay court tennis, the way it challenges players, and particularly now with Legends of the Game up against a new generation of young players. I cannot wait. Be there when it happens with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Subscribe to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. But do you think he's capable of it? Do you think he's capable of it? Yeah. Because that's the question, really. I'm not predicting that he will win it. I think think he's very injury-prone and that is a major question mark hanging over him um, but I certainly think he's capable of it and should be entered into the discussions in, in years ahead definitely Yeah. If, all, if everything else remained equal and his injuries weren't a problem he'd have a chance for sure I mean he, he does have that the, Absolutely. The, I mean, the, way, the way he pushes people around I mean the, the funny thing was the way he suddenly got this sort of short term focus uh, against David Ferrer when he, when he had that fall 
there was this wonderful bit of commentary from Vassus Alexander who was doing that match for Five Live and he just said he was commentating, I mean, and he just went, serve, forehand, boom. And, <laughs> and, and that's exactly what it was like, trying to sort of um, watch that match. You know, every every rally was just finished with the most ridiculous winner from, uh, yeah. from Juan Martín del Potro, particularly towards the end. Definitely the match of the tournament, for my money. Yeah, it's impressive stuff. Uh, uh, other questions, we have uh, Joe... Jojo Tennis, I think it is, uh, on Twitter, at uh, Tennis Podcast, if you want to send one in. Can Andy's win really have a long-term impact on British tennis? I think it can, personally. And uh, the reason I think that is is because I do think, and I, I know that this happens every year and everybody suddenly gets interested in tennis around Wimbledon time, but I, I've always thought a big enough star can get people wanting to to follow in their footsteps and then then the onus is on there being enough facilities in order for people to play on them and 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 to have them affordable and all that kind of thing but i certainly think he his victory can have a, a positive impact i so hope you're right david i'm not saying i disagree i perhaps don't share quite the confidence that you have because i know how you know, I think there's plenty of people out there thinking, I want to go and pick up a tennis racket. But I know from experience that desire to pick up a tennis racket and play, you know, you rock up at a club and you find out it's a thousand pounds a year and you have to play in a play-in to enter and no children well, you, allowed. Hold on and a you minute. You, I, I read today uh, Mike Dixon reporting that it was the average cost of, uh, of, of a club to join for a year is £150. Well, that's fantastic if that's the case. It doesn't it, not in Southwest London? It's not. But um, if if yeah, I, well, I think that's great. But I think it should be free for kids. Um, we've got the money to make it free for children. And and, and I think, um, well, I mean, this is a whole separate discussion, isn't it? I I I don't disagree. I just perhaps I'm not quite as confident as you are we, we've got no precedent for it have we we've we've got no no, I, no we I haven't have... I, what I would say is I, I do think because there's been a lot of focus over the last uh, few years on on the importance of making it more easy to 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 play the game um I think that that we it's probably almost good that he didn't win it until now so that there is more uh there's more capacity in order for us to take advantage of it but you know i mean the truth is the most important thing is to get i think people as many people playing the game as possible because i don't think you you can really make champions i think and no. Andy murray is born and and if he gets chance to play and brilliant you know and, I and agree. He'll, he'll come through so here he is and and I do think it helps that he's um, you know he's a bit of an everyman I suppose not in terms of his superhuman tennis ability but much as I love Tim Henman and he's one of my favourite people in the sport he didn't do much to defy the myth or defy the stereotypes in this country which are a fairly big issue I think in tennis of it being a crusty middle class or upper middle class sport how could he do that though that's not his fault is it absolutely not his fault i'm and it's not his fault that he was the only one really available to no quite i mean but i'm but those are the facts and uh, i i think it will will have a positive effect that andy murray is i suppose more of a 
or suppose seen more as more as an everyman. I suppose it's all yeah, about I, public I, I perception. It's not that Tim Henry was some toff that went to Eton and everything, but public perception certainly was that he was part of that you know middle class establishment that dominates tennis clubs in this country. Yeah, I, I did notice that, that Andy uh, went today, uh, the day after winning Wimbledon, he actually went into, I'm not exactly sure where it was, somewhere in in London that was more inner city and, and, and was sort of, you know, just getting people down there to play against him today. You know, he was, he was getting, he'd got his sponsors involved and all that kind of thing. And I think that that is... Is is a good sign, you know, mm. a, a good a good signal to send out, a good a good way of communicating that the kind of bloke that he he is, and and I do think you're right. I think he is probably easier to relate to for more mm. for more types of people uh, in that regard. Anyway, uh, what else, what other questions have we got here? Um, we have uh, Colin Cowan. He says, do you think anyone will ever top the feeling we all had when Andy finally won on Sunday? Well, if you're talking from a British perspective, uh, you know, I, I, I suppose not. <laughs> In all honesty, I think it was uh, it, it was such a long time since it happened. But I think it could be easily matched. I think if Laura Robson were to, were to win Wimbledon, I think there'd be a similar sort of celebration. I don't think it'd be quite as seismic simply simply because it has happened now. But but still, it and was, also the wait, although still long on the women's side, is slightly less long because yeah, we had Virginia true. Wade in '77 and Ann Jones before that. Um, you know, Virginia often gets forgotten about in, yeah, the, uh, in these discussions. Ja- Jason Rowley asks, uh, "At what age do you think Dimitrov will challenge for Grand Slams, if at all?" Oh, Dimitrov, we not dear. flogged that horse enough. <laughs> Listen Willie, to the back catalogue, and you'll, <laughs> you'll find. He will, out. though, only Catherine. Eventually, you'll get there. He will. He will. Well, Final I've point. advised my housemate to put money on him for next year's Wimbledon. There you go. What to win it? Well, not because I think he will win it, but because the odds were something like hundred to one, and I thought, yeah, that's that's. I'd take the odds that. at the moment are hundred to one for Dimitrov to win Wimbledon next yeah, year. Yeah, they were two hundred to one on him in the second when he was in the second round stage. Now, obviously, he lost, so. <laughs> Not a great investment, but still, two hundred to one for somebody with that level of talent is um, kind, I think, or unkind, yeah. depending on which way you look at it. Well, at one stage, I think he was about the seventh favourite for the title for for Wimbledon this year, so uh, that, that, that's turned around a bit. So yeah, I mean, it really, really should be soon for Dimitrov. Frankly, um, whether it will yeah. be, who knows. Uh, Tom Nash wants to know how many uh, Andy Murray will go on to win. John McEnroe said six today. What do you think? Well, I was going to say five, but I, yeah, five, yeah, five or six maybe. I think that's, I, yeah, I think that's a pretty safe estimation, really. What about you? Yeah, I think he's going to win. I think he's going to win seven. There you wow. go. I think he's going to win seven. He's going to join Mats Valander and John McEnroe on seven Grand Slam titles. Well, that would be uh, something. David Shepherd, whose uh, Twitter handle is at Shepmeister, wants to know who was Andy fist pumping at immediately after the final point because his team were in the other corner. Journalists, wasn't it? Yeah, he was. Now, there's a bit of a, a sort of. Um, debate as to what he was actually saying with that fist pumping uh, because uh, on the ESPN immediately after the match he, he did an interview and he said 
he said they showed him what he was doing and he said yeah i'm fist pumping there towards the press box and and he says i think it was a subconscious thing because um you know they've I, I wanted to win this title for me and for my fans and my family and my friends and everybody and but also there's a lot of people in that press box that have supported me for a long time so i wanted to win it for them as well which was a very nice thing to have said and then i think he went in the press conference afterwards and he, and he kind of said something rather different to that i, think I don't was, think he don't think he knew where he was or what he was doing what did he but i mean even if it was a subconscious thing that's a that's a pretty big I think that's a pretty great subconscious thing for him yeah, to have done. Yeah, you know, I I, th I think probably when he actually looked them in the eye and they asked him about it and tried to get him to say that, yeah. I think in a way his sort of slight defiance came out in, it, yeah. in, in in his personality and he thought, well, you know, just wanted to show you that I could that I had won it. Well, you don't <laughs> want to tell Neil Harmon to his face that the first the first person that you wanted to celebrate to was him, do you? Well, Neil sh it'd, shook it'd his fist right back. would be straight on Twitter. Neil wrote today that he shook his fists right back. Um, oh, right. So, uh, so it was a personal moment between the two of them, was it? Well, it might have been. It might have been. <laughs> there we are. You know, could ha could happen. <laughs> uh, y Yasushi Akiyama, I hope I pronounced that right, Yasushi, uh, says, do you think Novak deserves more appreciation from the fans? He often finds himself in villain roles. And I think she's got, uh, got a, a very, very good point there. Because um, Jonathan Overend in, in commentary yesterday, at one point towards the end when we thought Djokovic was going to mount a comeback, you know, when he broke back and in that final set and it was going all the way, he said he, he's, he's prowling around in front of our commentary box and he's smiling and he looks like a Bond villain and if he had a cat he'd be stroking it. Yeah, but that's just that was just the narrative of yesterday, wasn't it? I mean, there was very much a hero and then... By definition, it has to be a villain. It's only by contrast. I don't think anybody has any particular bad feeling towards Djokovic as an individual. It's just by contrast, and that that is a bit unfortunate for him. But I don't, and I know it must be difficult not to take personally at times. You know, I understand that, and it's not that I don't have any sympathy for him. I'm just saying that you know, I think it's understandable. I don't necessarily think it's unfair. It's just. The way it is. Okay, that's just the way it is. Uh, Stuart says, uh, Stuart Brengen, I hope I pronounced that right as well. Uh, what, what are journalists going to write about now in the UK? The Fred Perry narrative is over. What's next? Oh, trust me, they'll find something. Well, they're, we're already talking about how many he's going to win, aren't, aren't yeah, we? Yeah, and it's world, we, world number one is the next. World number one's a big one, and also, one. yeah, how many he's going to win? Is he going to dominate the sport? Is Laura Robson going to 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 achieve similar things in the women's game? Um, and who else is going to come through? Kyle Edmund is is starting to make embryonic waves in the sport, so there's plenty to go around. Don't you worry there. Uh, other questions what were your favourite matches from both the men's and women's tournaments this year from Rian uh, I think you've already mentioned the Del Potro Ferrer match haven't you yeah uh, well that was my pick on the men's side um, uh, there were a lot of very interesting matches on the on the women's side um, I think I think for me I'd probably go with the uh, the Liziki semi-final uh, which I thought was absolutely sensational against Radvanska, and also I mean, yeah. I'm biased because I commentated on these matches, but also <laughs> the uh, the Del Potro Djokovic match as well was was fantastic, and 
I mean, you know, they were they were great fun to commentate on, and I suppose that's that's where I got that from. But as much as it was horrible to see Federer go out because he's always great to watch, it was lovely to see somebody play against him the way that uh, Sergei Stokowski did with serve and volley. Yeah, quite right too. I I completely agree. Oh my word, we're agreeing. Uh, is Miles McLagan a good coach for Laura Robson? Asks GB tennis fan. Well, it looks like it so far, doesn't it? Um, I think he's ideal. I think he's exactly the right type of personality that she needs, personally, because he's 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 pretty easygoing and on one level, um, and yet he's he's going to make her work hard as well. But he'll make it fun in the process. Yeah, I, I mean, I've heard Murray talk about you know Laura's decision to hire Miles, and he seems to think it's a a good fit. Um, and and who would know better than him, I suppose? So. Um, yeah, I think you're right. He he certainly is into hard work, but is well. Is that, I'm just repeating what you've said. I'm uh, Owen Mitchell. Owen Mitchell. Here's a tough one. Owen Mitchell says, uh, uh, realistically, how close is Andy to achieving the career Grand Slam? In your opinion? Away, away on clay. I think clay, he's nowhere near. I, I just I can't see him winning the French Open. I just can't see it. No. Well, I I do agree, but you know he could get lucky one year. They could, you know, I don't know. After Rafa's reign and once Roger's retired, and I do, who knows what will happen? They, as I say, timing is everything. I've said this so many times. You know, who would have thought that? Looking back, it seems so peculiar to think of Leighton Hewitt as a two-time Grand Slampion, Grand Slam, Grand Slampion, Grand Slam champion, or a Wimbledon champion. But he was in the right place at the right time, playing the best he could. So, never say never. But currently, I don't think he's a French Open winner. No. No, but I mean, you know, I think also we, we, we do have an issue with his body on clay from what we've seen over the last couple of months. You know, he came into this year's clay court season really intending to, to make a splash and and, and he, he physically broke down. So we, we hope uh, for his sake that he's able to, to get over that. Um, we have a couple more questions here, Catherine. Uh, Alex says, uh, this isn't really a question, just wants to know... It wants us to describe the atmosphere on centre court at the end. That would have to be me because you weren't there. But um, in terms of the the actual atmosphere, I mean, I I wasn't actually courtside because I I was um, I was doing interviews. But from people that I spoke to, they they compared it to the Olympic Stadium when Mo Farah was running around the final lap and for gold and. And from what I understand, that was the loudest anybody had ever heard a crowd. And and I think it was a similar sort of volume yesterday. So I think it was probably bone-tinglingly loud and, uh, and, and special. So, final question goes to uh, Nathan Morley, for now, uh, who asks, uh, Murray now going into the hard-court season, can he end the year as world number one? Well, there's about 3,000 points mm. between the two. And it is, it is fascinating, isn't it, that if he, if he were to win the US Open, he would be the only player in, in the year who's won two Grand Slams, and yet he wouldn't be world number one, most likely. It's tough because uh, because the points he has to defend now for the next big run of the season on the American hard courts, that's going to make him... He'd have to have one heck of an indoor season, which he usually does, mind you, but um, it's certainly very difficult for him. I, I think I think it's very possible that he could be after the Australian Open next I was going to say, uh, early next year, because he, he would have... 
I mean, admittedly, he reached the final of the Australian Open and he won Brisbane, didn't he? So, he, you know, he's got plenty of points to defend early on. But he's also got that... He didn't have the greatest um, close to last year, did he? He was out, I think, in the group stages of uh, mm. the World Tour Finals. I think it was. I can't completely remember, to be honest. Um, but he didn't win that. He wasn't in the final of that. And he also uh, didn't have the greatest time in, in some of the other tournaments around that time of the year. Um, plus... In the spring of this year, he lost in Indian Wells uh, at the quarterfinal stage. He, he did win Miami, but I think there will be chances if he can stay fit. Um, but you know, he's st- he's still got to keep winning. This is the thing; he's got to win the U.S. Open again. I think to probably close the gap on on mm. Djokovic, or Djokovic has got to start falling. I mean, this is where I think we have to pay enormous tribute to Novak Djokovic he the bloke just does not lose early does he I mean he, there was the one little blip in Miami but apart from that just doesn't happen he doesn't no he doesn't I mean it seems so unlikely the thought of him losing you know in the early stages of a Grand Slam so no I think very unlikely before um, February 2013 there we go yeah okay all right well we're saying that he'll get there aren't we though we both think he'll become world number one at some stage. We do, we do. Ha. Oh, happy days. <laughs> well, that's uh, that's the tennis podcast for uh, another week. Catherine, we're going to have a bit of a break for a while now, aren't we? We are. Yeah, we're bored uh, of each other. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, I need a bit of a break, and uh, but we will do. We will come back uh, at some point, I'm sure. Um, certainly hope we will. Um, I know on Twitter I did mention that we might not do any more and all this sort of stuff, but you know, I can't give it up, can I? I can't give up this tennis podcast with Catherine Whitaker. It's too much fun. Uh, so I we can't, suspect... we can't let down Rob Curling. No, Rob Curling of Eurosport. Rob Curling, fame. if you're listening, which you almost definitely are. Twice. Possibly for a second time. Don't you can sleep well in your bed tonight. We will be back one way or another. Yeah, absolutely. Most likely be before the US Open for a bit of a preview of that and uh and we'll let you know when on Twitter of course. But uh thanks ever so much for, for downloading this tennis podcast and for listening to us. Um it's it's really good of you and we hope you enjoy it and we will speak to you soon. <laughs> up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com 